Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky, pop culture historian, writer for Scary Monsters magazine, and curator of the Crypt of Classics. Co-hosting, as always, is the maestro of mail-order mysteries and owner of HouseOfTheUnusual.com, the one, the only, Eddie Guevara. Special guest tonight is Dave Harvisat. He was with S.S. Adams and did a bunch of cool stuff with magic. And uh, Dave, I'm going to hand it over to you and let's give the audience a, uh, a full introduction of yourself and, uh, and a little bit of your uh, We all know everything there is to know about you and more. Sure. Well, I appreciate it, Joe. Well, my background goes back to uh, like a lot of kids that read the back of comic books and um, dreamed about the items that they ordered and waited four to six to eight weeks to uh, get their treasures. (laughs) But uh, no, I started off, um, you know, probably around five or six years old, begging my parents for some extra money and doing some household chores to get allowance you know, to buy things like Mystic Smoke and X-Ray Specs and Sea Monkeys and so forth. And um, I always had kind of this keen interest in magic, uh, which I followed. And while I was uh, in high school, I performed local shows for kids' birthday parties and different events and always dreamed of owning a magic shop. And um, while in college, I was able to do that and had a shop uh, in Seymour, Connecticut, uh, which is about an hour and a half north of uh, Manhattan. Ran that shop while going to school. And um, during that time, I met some important people that changed my life uh, for my magic career and uh, became very, very interested in um, manufacturing, making things, novelties and tricks. And um, one of the gentlemen, his name was uh, Reverend Bill Rauscher. He had written a number of books on magic. And one day at a convention, um, I had a a large table of novelties, mainly S.S. Adams products. And he asked me where I acquired those. And I told him that I found a lot of it in in a garage um, from a magician, really a pitchman that demonstrated magic at Macy's in New York city. And, um, he said that his first trick was, uh, an SS Adams snapper. It's a little device that, you know, looks like, uh, you can do it where, uh, you can catch this, uh, metal peg or, or plastic or wooden peg at the time, but no one else could, could do it. No one else could get the, uh, elastic band. And it was kind of, uh, just a cheap, inexpensive novelty, but that started him and his interest in magic and uh, then writing books. So with that, we decided to do an article on the SS Adams Company in Neptune, New Jersey. And uh, that turned into a visit there to the factory, um, an old 1800s large 50,000 square foot facility that made everything from joy buzzers to bug in the ice cubes to snake nut cans and so forth. And when I was there, um, 
I said to myself, you know, this is my childhood. This is what I grew up with. This was the, was the stuff underneath the Christmas tree and in my stockings. Um, I'd love to be a part of it and to own it. And the book was published. It was called S.S. Adams, High Priest of Pranks and Merchants of Magic. And it was uh, one of the first books I published under my company called 1878 Press. Um, and it was a big hit. But that was the, the first uh, introduction to the factory. And uh, coupled with all the merchandise I had uh, of the company, the old retro stuff, I, as I said earlier, I wanted to be part of it. So I negotiated with the great-grandson of uh, Sam Adams, who started the company in 1906, to buy 50% of it. And then I became the, the president of the company running it um, up until around 2009 when we licensed the company to a, another facility that still makes the, makes the tricks, not in this country, but overseas but the name is still going. So uh, from 1906 to 2020, uh, the products are still falling under that brand. Uh, so that was kind of my introduction with, um, with Adams and I've been involved in many other, many, many other projects with books and Houdini merchandise and um, licensing. I have the license to the Adams family uh, Uncle Fester mystery light bulb, which we all know, you know, the iconic 1960s series, um, you know, where Uncle Fester would light a bulb in his mouth, which was no more than a magic trick and was originally put out by uh, Pointer Products of Ohio. And um, I found that there was a need to have that item put out again and uh, decided to do that. And I have a license on Houdini Cologne. <laughs> a fragrance <laughs> so uh it doesn't make, smell guaranteed like, to make the women disappear <laughs> yeah women disappear and it, you know it doesn't smell like old rusty handcuffs or anything <laughs> like that but uh through all this you know i had met eddie um you know kind of early on and we would meet up at uh i guess it was a bergen mall um they kind of had a eddie had a, a spot under the mall there that was like a I can't really describe it. Eddie could describe it better, but it was kind of like, you know, the forgotten part of the mall where they rented out the old uh, storefronts to people for rental. And he had, you know, of course, just was jammed with merchandise and his collection. And we collaborated on a number of things, different ideas and so forth. So uh, let's see what else can I tell you. Well, in 2006, you know, SS Adams, we had our hundredth anniversary and um, we had uh, a big event held at the Berkeley Carteret in Asbury park because SS Adams was originally uh, an Asbury park location. And back in 2006, uh, Asbury park was really in a sad state of affairs. Uh, it's not like it is now where it's been revived and the real estate property is uh, pretty lucrative back then. You could drive down and see the area where you know where Bruce Springsteen had started, and so forth, and walk on the boardwalk, which I did a number of times. Um, was very depressing. The Howard Johnson's there was closed, and you know all the arcades were gone. 
And the Berkeley Carteret was the last hotel that was operating practically. Um, and I remember we invited people from all over our old vendors, Fun Incorporated, who was a competitor of ours from Chicago and companies like D Robbins and Brooklyn, <clears throat> New York, and just a lot of the old Philip Morris, um, you know, out of North Carolina. We invited all the, the people who had been customers and had patronized us for years. And I was quite embarrassed to have them come down and see burning cars and <laughs> things in, in Asbury at the time. But we had the event at the Berkeley and it was, you know, uh, we, we, we gave all the money to uh, charities, animal shelters and so forth. And we had a big crowd. And it was good to see, and we uh, everyone come out, and we had a very uh, good silent auction where we we auctioned off original sets of uh, Life of the Party uh, joke sets with all the classic effects, the joy buzzers, the snake in the cans, the fake cockroaches, and we had a couple original vials of the Kachu sneezing powder, which uh, started the company way back in 1906. So, um, you know, it was good times and, uh, and good memories, but it's all, uh, you know, part of our nostalgic history and, and growing up and, uh, yeah, any, anything else I can add, I would be, I would be happy to. Well, it's interesting. I told you, uh, Joe, that you'd be very impressed with Dave. Um, I actually, it was kind of interesting when I started my magic uh, rendezvous, you know, when I was into the early stages of mail order in 1986, 87, I went to the International Toy Trade Show. At that time, I had met a younger Chris, um, who is the SS Adams great grandson, and I met him there. And um, in 1989, when I opened my magic shop, in West New York, New Jersey, I actually went down there, drove to Neptune where the SS Adams company was, and I got a tour of the place. Uh, I was able to see where they did all the, you know, all the different uh, magic tricks, how they did the joy buzzer, and it was a very interesting uh, tour. So fast forward to the year 1998, from 89, give or take, 97, 98, I'm not going to say precisely when it was because I know it was around that time. Um, my brother, I had I had spent about two or three years where I didn't really do any mail order or magic stuff. So my brother says to me, I'm going to help, you know, with your site, this and that. And I'm like, OK, I'll think about it. But the next week I received uh, 10,000 business cards he had produced for me and he had started the main website for me of House of the Unusual. Um, having done that, it kind of forced me to go back into business. So it, this is kind of funny because we're talking of a very young Dave in his early 20s, probably. And he's there now, owner, president of uh, SS Adams. And I call up SS Adams because the first thing I figured is, let me call SS Adams and let me get my products from them. Because I remember at the time I had like, I don't know, about two or $3,000 uh, credit with them. And I decided to go there and, you know, I said, let me, let me give them a call. So when I called uh, David up the phone, so I'm like, can I speak with Chris Adams? 
And Chris Adams says, uh, you know, and Dave says, well, I can help you and stuff. And I'm like, no, no, I want to speak with Chris Adams. And he was kind of insistent, which I thought it was kind of funny, though, because I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I want to speak with Chris Adams. And this guy still wants to talk to me, you know. So I don't know what I said that it finally he puts on Chris Adams. And Chris turns around and says to me, well, actually, David is the one that can help you, Eddie, because he's in charge of the company. And I said to myself, oh, my God. Okay, fine. David comes on the, the phone. And it was so funny, though, because I, I really liked the guy. You know, we started talking and talking. And then we made it. A, we would get on the phone for seven days a week for the next six, seven months as we talked for hours on days. You know, we would talk to sometimes one, two o'clock in the morning from like 10 p.m. And, I, you know, I felt like this guy's the, you know, this guy's awesome. So from there, that's what started our friendship. And later on, we finally, you know, going through a lot of different times where we collaborated in things or talked about products, this and that. Uh, we recently actually got together about a year ago And because what I used to do at the time is when I sold my mail order items, especially on the uh, telephone, I'm sorry, through the mail, instead of me carrying the products, I would because 90% of my products on my website were based out of the SS Adams uh, catalog. So what I would do is I would tell Dave, hey, Dave, I need a dozen snake cans, whatever it would be. And Dave would meet me and we would meet in the Bergen Mall. Uh, and that's where, he, you know, he first seen the Bergen Mall and all that stuff. Now, the interesting part with this was the fact that uh, it, it lasted a while. I was able to sell without spending much money in, in stock and, and stocking merchandise and needing a big space. So what happened is that in, I think about a year ago, like I said, we decided that there's a lot of products I was not able to make. But I still wanted to, you know, to continue selling all the original stuff from the 1970s. So we got together, Dave and myself, and we actually created four of those original products. And we started a an LLC, which uh, at the time was all ready to set and go. And then, of course, the COVID uh, threw us back a couple of months because everything was closed. And this was around December. But we created four fabulous products together. And in the collaboration between me and him, because, you know, Dave and me, we've, we go now back almost 30 plus years. So um, we did the original Frankenstein and I gave Dave my original Frankenstein or I, I scanned it and gave him the images. And he then turned around and had one of his people that I guess that uh, they do the graphic artists that do most of the books he publishes, because right now. As Dave had mentioned, I think he's publishing close to, if I'm correct, they have about 30 titles now you've published, including Life of the Party, the famous uh, S.S. Adams book. Yeah, um, that's right, approximately that many. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what happened basically with that is we created uh, the Seven Foot Frankenstein, uh, the one from the comic book, which is the more popular one and known by more people that are about my age uh, because it was the most well known in comic books. It ran the longest and actually believe it or not i believe one of them sold much more than the famous color frankenstein that was in from the late early 60s um we also duplicated the hypno coin we i was able to, to to get my original we took photographs not photographs i sent it out uh with uh in collaboration with dave we sent it out to a company there 
and we were able to reproduce that with the original flyer. Then we, Dave uh, and me had mentioned, and Dave brought, brought up this idea because uh, he remembers uh, growing up, which I did in, in my time, everybody had one of those weather homes, little weather houses. Uh, and the weather houses that, that, you know, when it rained, you would have a little guy with an umbrella come out. And when it was sunny, a female would come out. And having said that, uh, we, we decided, and Dave came up with the brainstorming idea of why don't we make it into a haunted house, you know, like a haunted house weather vane thing. And we produced those. In fact, we only have a limited run of them. And it's something that I think a lot of the listeners of this radio would probably like to come across and get it because after this Halloween, it's not going to be made available anymore. So we're very limited in the amount we have. That's something that needs to be picked up right away. And together with that, uh, Dave, being a magician and having an entire life uh, collection of magic, and I believe as as which you, fa- I, you didn't mention, Dave, that you have one of the largest Houdini collections probably in the world. Um, and another thing that I don't know if you forgot, not you forgot, but you didn't mention is in the History Channel, they had a special, if I believe it was the History Channel the, or the Science Channel, uh, yeah, it was uh, the Science Channel. The, yes, Science Channel the Secrets of Houdini. And in the fir- very first episode where Houdini, um, they do the um, torture uh, chamber, is it called the Houdini Water Torture Cell? Uh, Dave has the original Houdini paperwork that Houdini himself uh, sketched out or how the torture cell would be done. And since he has the original, they asked him to appear on the show, but at the time, you know, being in California, I think you appeared, Dave, in, in a Zoom call. But, you know... Yeah, yeah, through Skype, yep. yep. So anybody that wants to see Dave and that can go to the Science Channel and, you know, look up that and look at the very first episode and three quarters of the episode and Dave is on it. So David came up with another idea of taking a, a very famous magic trick that was done in the 1950s and we redid it into what's called the alien space orb. Um, both of those items, including actually all the four items, are being sold because Dave has most of them up in, in Connecticut. And we haven't been able to register the company due to the fact of the COVID and all that stuff. Uh, Dave has been uh, taking the orders uh, for our products. And that is through either Presco on eBay or in Amazon if you actually... Uh, you know, you search. What is the name you use in Xanadu? Is the your Amazon? Yeah, name? Z- yeah, Xanadu or Xanadu Magic. Yep. Right. And you, if you actually look for the uh, Uncle Fester light bulb, and you see that's that'll be David's company because uh, 1878 Press is the book publishing company you have. And let me tell you, anybody that can actually go online and look at that will find that 1878 Press. Uh, has phenomenal books. I have several copies of all the books he publishes. And I got to tell you one thing. They're better than the ones you would get in Barnes & Noble, like really high-class publishing. Um, so anyway, that's that's basically the story with me and Dave. We collaborated in a lot of things because his nature of the business and being in magic for so long has also been in what I, I've been the collector. I've been the guy that maintained the items since I was a kid. I'm a lot older than both of you guys, but at the same time, it you know what? It actually, um, it's, it's fabulous <clears throat> that right after me, 
there's still a young generation that can carry the dream of people out there. Dreams like waiting in the mailbox. Um, I actually had two very interesting emails I had looked at uh, that some, you know, that people have wrote me. Now I don't have it in front of me right now. That I could say, uh, I, I'll read it to you. I should have actually made, but it was interesting because one of the guys is like telling me, you know, I'm so excited that I'm definitely not going to leave your site. You know, it's it's very interesting the stories I hear from people, and the most funniest thing is that people remember the most was not what the product was, was not what the product was, you know, described because obviously when they got it, they were more disillusioned than ever say that they received something that they were happy they got. It was the fact of the waiting time, the anticipation. <laughs> the That's what made it so exciting for people that still people my age today seek after to remember that useful part of us when we be, we dream bigger than life when you know when monsters in comic books and stuff came out of the pages and we were able to you know like dream about it it was it was it was a different total time no video games you know very few things in fact very it was when atari was beginning to enter the, the field you know and it was so exciting to still order things from the x-ray glasses to and the best part about that is um, that knowing David and, you know, and, and made it really interesting is the fact that, you know, he took me on a tour one day of the SS Adams company, a second tour that I went there and we took some photographs and stuff. But, you know, it's it's been a fantastic journey that I can't ever say that between both me, David and everybody that has come across us, we can't say that we regret it at any moment. So. Go ahead, Joe. Give your input on it, or I'll give it to you. you know, I, was, <laughs> I was actually just thinking today, you know, when you had mentioned the wait time, and a lot of the people that, you know, place the orders or that we talk with about, you know, the mail order mysteries, you know, there's a few things that, that always come up in the conversations. One is how, you know, excited they were to to get their item, and then how disappointed they were when, it you know, it came in the mail because it was – Usually nothing that was, you know, that they thought it would be from the comic ads. And, and the second part is, like you said, is the the anticipation. You know, there was that, you know, four to eight, you know, maybe four to six weeks, you know, for the delivery and that anticipation of it, you know, arriving. You'd, you'd come home every day from school and check your mailbox for, you know, the next two months or so waiting to see if, if your item arrived. And I was actually thinking about that this morning. Because uh, I had placed an uh, an order through Amazon and I had, you know, the one day shipping. And uh, after I, I placed my order and I, I went online to do some stuff and I was checking checking over the House of the Unusual website. And then it hit me. I said, man, I said, you know how, you know, what would I do if I, I clicked on Amazon and it said, OK, your item got, you know, four to eight weeks of delivery, you know, just kind of unheard of, you know in today's world where everything is, is at our fingertips so quickly. So, you know, it's nice, you know, when you place an order, you know, like I did uh, through Eddie at the house of the unusual, you know, it took a, you know, there was that anticipation that he, he gave me, you know, I was waiting all, I, I found myself, I said, okay, you know, I'll place the order. I know it's going to take a few days to, 
you know, to get to my house after all the processing. But I actually, you know, after about a week, I, I found myself, you know, because I work night turn. So, you know, I, I sleep during the day and then my mail comes about noon. So I usually wake up about one o'clock or so. And I found myself getting up and, you know, going outside to, to check my mail to see if my package had come. And, you know, it kind of brought me back to that that uh simpler time you know back in back when i was young you know six seven eight years old of you know ordering stuff through the through these comic ads and everything all that so it it, not only do you get some cool products from the the site but you also you know get that experience of what it had been like you know back in the heyday of these mail order items and uh for the people that have experienced it before but haven't done so in years you know, it's a nice little uh, nostalgic trip for them. So that's something very, very cool that, that happens when you order through uh, House of the Unusual. You know, it, it's funny that you're you're saying that, um, you know how I've been looking for the robot plants for probably the last 40 years? You can tell how hard they are to find when David himself, who Dave, I believe you, you one of your things is because you do own an auction house as well called Harborside and Ewing that sells is kind of like Christie's or Sotheby's. You guys sell posters that are worth thousands of dollars and the auction takes place one or three times a year, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, sometimes we have auctions up about six times a year. Um, Got another one coming up uh, before Halloween. You know, we always try to do one in October because Houdini died uh, in the month of October um, on Halloween on October 31st. So we try to have a a kind of a Halloween October auction with a lot of magic, but a lot of things that Houdini specifically. So, um, yeah, we'll be having one of those. But uh, with your robot plans, I mean, you've been, you know, (laughs) if you're going out every day, you've been doing that for four years, thinking it's coming in the mail. But I was thinking about when Joe was talking about uh, ordering on Amazon and, you know, if you have Amazon Prime or one of the speedy services, how we've kind of as consumers, you know, we become we've become spoiled because we order something and we expect it to be there, you know, within like 24 hours or 48 hours. Um, but I was recently uh, I get all these solicitations like I'm sure you guys do too, sometimes from uh, publishers clearinghouse, uh, you know, saying about winning a thousand dollars a day for the rest of your life. And it's enticing to, uh, you know, do an entry. And I was doing that the other evening with my 10 year old son. And of course, publishers clearinghouse, you know, they originally were started in, I think the fifties with selling magazine subscriptions and uh, that's what they were known for. Um, but now that, you know, most people don't even buy magazines anymore, subscribe to them, they've gone really to selling merchandise. So instead of, you know, getting the, the thing in the mail, you used to get like the, the big packet from uh, from them in the mail. And you had to send it in and put, you know, these seals on and stamps and mail it back. Now they get you on the Internet right into your inbox and before you could do an entry, they make you go through about 20 pages of merchandise. You know, you got to scroll through 
and it will say, hey, no purchase is necessary, does not increase your chances of winning, you know, and so forth. But if you look at, if you buy any of that stuff on there, whether it's usually household goods or things that, you know, are supposed to make your life easier, it will say, please allow f uh, four to six weeks for delivery. So I was looking at the other night and it just kind of made me think back. <laughs> it's like one company that, you know, they're still standing by that time frame. They're not telling you, you know, if you buy this, whatever, this um, gadget, you know, that's going to open cans really fast or, uh, you know, a nightlight, the perpetual nightlight or whatever it may be. Uh, you're not getting it tomorrow. You're going to be getting it in, you know, a, basically a month or a month and a half. So I just thought about when Joe was talking about that, that there's still that, <laughs> that, uh, that disclaimer that you know you got to wait a while to get your get your product well well dave i have to be honest i didn't even know publishers clearinghouse was still around because i haven't i haven't seen any emails or, or got any of the uh you know any you know <laughs> right physical mail from let, them in i don't know how many years. yeah let me tell yeah you they're guys. still they're still active and they're very i mean they're very uh you know, they're very aggressive and they they have a very good email platform and you play games and you win tokens and you could get prizes. They're really trying to engage the, uh, you know, the, the person whose attention span, you know, on the internet these days, it's like click from one thing to the other. They're giving you all the bells and whistles, um, even though the odds are incredibly, incredibly rare that you're going to win. They're throwing all this free, you know, not only ordering stuff, uh, where they get your, you know, your mailing address and your, they've got your email, but you know, they get all your information, but they're also, um, offering you free stuff. You know, if you buy from them, you're going to get this and that. Well, yeah. let me, well, let if me, anybody from publishers clearinghouse is listening to this, please don't say, no, well, let, let me tell you guys enough. something. I want to tell well, you maybe they could be a sponsor of the podcast, but um, but no, yeah, there not. you go, Eddie. So, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you guys something because you guys are talking about that, and you brought up two topics that I was unaware of, and I'm, and I'm going to tell you something. First of all, when you're looking back at cereal boxes today, they still go for that 46 week delivery. If there's something that you're going to get, like a license plate for kids with their name imprinted, it, it takes about six weeks to receive it. So they still adhere to that original uh, publisher's clearinghouse thing. But, David, what really blew my mind is I was looking at a catalog about three nights ago. And um, the catalog I was looking was a 1993 Harriet Carter. And I was, if you remember that story, how Allied Plastics took my seven-foot ghost idea and started making, well, I seen the ghost and the witch they were selling there. And I saw the ad, and I, when I'm looking at the ad, something said to me, let me check out if these people are still in business. To my shock, Harriet Carter still produces catalogs. They're still in business, and they have a big standing in, um, in the Internet, which I, I was kind of really shocked that a company that old is still there and thriving. Um, I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, because um, they're, Harriet Carter's capitalizing on, an, you know, an older population and, you know, people still do like to get catalogs in the mail. It's just uh, they like to hold something just like a book, you know, when the Kindles came out and, uh, you know, there was just the publishers were very frightened that no one was going to be, 
buying hardcover, softcover books anymore, that it was all going to be read online. That may have hurt sales somewhat, but people still like to hold something and having something that's uh, tangible, you know, in, in their hands. So um, I could see where Harriet Carter, there may be a few others that target, you know, 65 and older. Um, well, I'm younger than that, just to let you know, Dave. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it, it, it's funny that you mentioned that, Dave, because you, you know, there's still that, there's still a, a few generations around that enjoy physical copies. You know, I, I'm 40 and I still, you know, I grew up with, you know, the pre-internet time and I, I still enjoy having a physical copy in my hand. I, I'm not a fan of reading anything, you know, digital. So there's, you know, and there's still people, you know, you know, in their 80s and 90s the same way. But, you know, you also have, you know, these newer generations that really grew up with only digital. So I, I'm wondering if, you know, maybe in 50, 60 years or so, if, if you know, f- actual physical copies are, are going to go almost by the wayside because these newer generations are so used to having everything digital and yeah and yeah there's still you know a few you know younger people that enjoy you know physical copies that they haven't totally bought into the the whole digital thing but you know it makes me wonder you know what 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 it's going to look like you know in in 50 or so years you know are there going to be actual bookstores can you get physical copies of everything because you know we we start seeing now you know a lot of the our comic books dc comics in particular are are switching to a lot of digital uh, minus their their main title so it, it kind of seems like it's it's leaning well, towards that yeah, way it, it, it's very difficult for printing like especially for giving away things that are free because of the cost not necessarily because of the cost of the printing because printing has you know come a long way and it's um where color printing 25 years ago was expensive now it's almost practically the same price, but the big problem is the cost of the, the mailing. And, you know, with our auction company, we do mainly online auctions um, where everything is viewed on an online catalog, but occasionally we'll do like once or twice a year, we'll do a, a hardcover printed car catalog, not hardcover, but a, you know, a bound catalog, full color, and it's it's costly, but the real expense is mailing it out. Um, I mean, right now, if you you know put something in a priority mail envelope, it's costing almost nine bucks. You know, even flat rate, it's like eight eighty or something like that. It changes all the time. That's astronomical. You know, to give away something, and even if you send media mail, which is possible, you may be paying three bucks, but it's going to take you know, a long, long time to get there, especially with what's going on now. So I think things are just going to eventually, because of the cost of the mailing, the shipping, it's going to be all online. And um, if someone wants to order a book, well, they're paying for the shipping, but to get free stuff in the mail, that's kind of, um, that's going to disappear, I believe. You know what the, you know what the problem is though? I want to tell you guys about this, that they did a, a survey, I think it was, I don't know, last year, the year before, and people still prefer uh, print copy because of the fact that you don't see it on your iPad or your Kindle reader, but it glitch, like there's glitches. So when you read online for a very long period of time, 
it's going to hurt your eyes. So unless technology continues, which it is growing, we're still going to have the print copy for a while because before this COVID thing, uh, Barnes and Noble was actually, uh, they came out, I think for the last two or three years, they were on the, on, on the, the blue, not the red. They were making money each year in their sales and stuff. So to answer your question, I think in our lifetime, we're still going to see the print to continue to be a dominant force in the industry. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, it, like I said, you know, future's kind of looking more towards digital. I even see now a lot of, you know, people are, are doing a, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a print to or, you know, print to order type deal where, you know, you have to order it and then they'll print it, you know, just because, you know, there's not many bookstores out anymore. And, and, you know, there is that, that digital version of stuff. Like even with, even with magazines, a lot of magazines have gone by the wayside and have gone strictly to, to digital. You know, my wife worked at Barnes and Nobles a few years back. And, you know, I remember I, I would go there several times a week and check out the magazines and books and, you know, I, I noticed over the years just how lesser and lesser, you know, the areas were, were becoming because there was just, you know, a lot of the titles were going to digital or they were just flat out, you know, going defunct because, you know, like Dave said, that the shipping was, you know, a major deal and also the printing, you know, the printing costs have skyrocketed. So there's just, there's just a lot of, I think, issues out there. I, I hope that actual print never goes away, you know, for people like us that actually, you know, like to have the things in our hands, but you know, it's, it's not only books or magazines that are going that way, you know, video games are going the the same way where they're going more towards downloads and even movies and music, you know, you could go into, you know, a Best Buy or or some other electronic store and, you know, there's, you know, you'll be lucky to find a music section if there is anything and even the DVD section is well, smaller than it was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago because, you know, you have all these streaming services and it's easier to purchase something online and add it to your, your digital file. It is. But remember one thing, you're still going to have that generation that doesn't anybody who's over 50, believe it or not, doesn't know how to even turn a computer on. Um and I can tell you this much, you're going to still have, as long as we have such a growing population of older folks, which we continue to have where they're living into 100 years old, you're still going to have that old media. You're still going to have DVDs. You're still going to have, um, you know, Blu-rays because people want a tangible copy of things. Uh, like oh, yeah, that, that, will, that stuff will always be around. I just think it, it'll play a, a it'll I, I, keep playing a much smaller role in, in yeah. But look what society. Dave look what Dave just said that him and his son he was you know reminiscing with the publisher's clearinghouse because he wanted to see what it was like again. That's the same thing I got told by Kirk Demaris that him and his son go. You know how many stories I get and emails from people that they want to do the same thing with their children. So the point I'm trying to say is yes, media eventually has has gone a long way, digital, like Dave, you do everything online, you mail out a few catalogs, um, but still you have what makes it fun and what you do. The search, the search for the treasure. You go out throughout the entire country trying to buy um, magical yeah, supplies. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the search. I mean, years ago, you know, when you wanted something, 
um, you did it the old, if you were a collector, you did it the old fashioned way. You, you either put an ad out that you're looking for something or you, you know, like in Connecticut, there used to be, a th I think it's still in business, but it's been, a, it's a lot thinner than it used to be, but it was almost the size of like a telephone book. It was called the bargain news and it came out, you know, I think every other week or so. And you had classifieds if you were looking for autos or you're looking for antiques or if you're looking for, you know, the robot plans, whatever, to, whatever it was, you put an ad out in there and it was free to put the ad. Um, and they got the, you know, they got the sponsorship through the um, advertisers. Well, they, you know, Dave, here's the deal. Just think about when you say, you know, which is funny, they say the robot plans. You've traveled the world the whole country I'm talking about, buying magic supplies. I've asked you to be in the lookout for this for probably the last 20 years. <laughs> uh, in fact, the HypnoCoin disc we put out in order for us to get, because I lost my original in the 1995 fire I had, to get a copy of one. I think Dave drove eight hours. Am I correct at that? I, I drove very far hours? to get that. Yeah, I drove very far to get that and to look at some other stuff, but I knew they had it and I wanted it. And um, yeah, but that, that's, that's the point I was making is that when, you know, the internet came out, those classified things were, were gone. Now you could research thing. You could, you know, you've got um, Craigslist and you, of course you have, uh, you know, Facebook and just a lot of avenues to get stuff in eBay, you know, with just, it's instantaneous. You could do a search. So, it took the fun out of, in some ways, the anticipation because you used to actually have to write to somebody and then wait for them to write back if they had it, if they didn't want to put their phone number, make it known, you know, and this classified. And you, it was this back and forth, and then you got to the price and how much was it. And, you know, but now it's just, okay, you know, it's, it's here, it's available. But what I do with research, um, is something that's also because of the internet is is gone and that is uh people don't correspond they don't write letters anymore and most of the things that i have found and tracked down is because someone leaves a paper trail you know where they wrote in the 1950s they just bought this or that and when that individual dies and their their papers if they're not thrown away goes to another group of collectors now you have a name, you have an address, you have where it was sold, and you could track it down somewhat. And that's what I've been successful doing. But think just now with email. No one prints out emails and puts them in a file. It's gone forever once that individual passes away and their account is closed. So a lot of historical things that were, are located or information is told in a letter about the provenance, like this person had it and this person had it. It's usually because it's been documented in writing, not on a computer, but in letters and documents. No one does that anymore. They do yeah. everything through email and they do everything through electronic means. Well, uh, that's that's going to be gone. And when, when a new format comes in, maybe, you know, when we're a little bit older, I'm two years older than Joe. Uh, well, but just, if well, we, we, yeah, it's going to change your information. I didn't mean to, but I got to tell you something, my friend. I do print out some of my emails <laughs> just to bring that up to you. We have, well, what just to interject real quick, you know, we we're talking about the hunt 
is I, I posted a video up on um, House of the Unusual on YouTube a few weeks ago dealing with, um, I just received a, a comic zine number one from 1971. And um, I believe it's, if I remember, it's about 45 pages or so, something like that, or, or maybe a little bit less. But anyways, more than half of that magazine, and I touch in it in the um in the video, more than half of that magazine are all classifieds. And if you look at the classifieds, like, you know, Dave was saying, if, if, you know, a lot of them don't have a phone number. So if you wanted something that they had, you had to write to them. You had to wait for them to write you back, you know, with, you know, maybe a price, uh, a condition, you know, maybe if they included any photos and then, you know, you had to, send them, you know, the money and all that. You had to even see if it was, a, you know, still available. So, <laughs> you know, that could take just well, weeks just trying to go back and forth with, you know, just through regular snail mail, just trying to see if an item's available and, you know, any more information on it. So, yeah, it's different. You know, now we have everything at our, at our fingertips. It, it, but, you know, back then that was, you know, these magazines or these fanzines, that was the eBay. That was the, the Craigslist was of just the, like, the 70s and 80s. Exactly. Toy Shop yeah. was. But I'm sorry, the, I was saying just like Toy Shop was. Um, You remember Toy Shop Magazine? Uh, any of you guys do? No, I, I, I don't. It. No, Eddie. You never? Okay, Toy Shop was before eBay. Was that paper, a newspaper, that you looked and every collector advertised in it? It was like you know, 50, 100 pages, and it was as big as the Star. Remember the Star National Enquirer? And yep. I have several copies. I, I thought you had, I had shown you that, Dave. But one thing I'm going to tell you right now that Dave probably don't, might not, I don't know if you remember this or not, Dave, but one time I was looking at my products, and you were over in my place. I forgot where. We are going through my stuff, and you said, uh, I don't know if you noticed all the products you have are – from the 1980s and it dawned on me because here I was actually selling on eBay and all that. I was selling original x-ray glasses, original this and that, not even realizing that some of the glasses I had sold had said honey toy industries in the back. They're somehow sometimes listing for $500 each. Now I had the very first copies of those things and I had sold them and I remember seeing them and I'm like, what the heck? It's the same thing. You told me, you know that what you have is retro. And that's when I realized that my collection was all from 1980. And I said, I mean, what I'm saying, my collection, most of the products, because that's when I had my magic shop. Man, is that considered retro now? (laughs) The 80s? Well, yeah, it's actually, it's kind of, but Dave was the one that notified me, like told me, hey. And I said, yeah, sheesh, you're right about this. Now, Dave, I, I want to ask you a good question because we're kind of like getting to the last 10 minutes of the of the show here. And I want to bring up, and, and I had mentioned to Joe about it, but I want you to tell, uh, you recently published the book and it uh, was uh, concerning Mr., uh, Mr. Mitchell, the sixth astronaut that walked on the moon, sixth man on the moon. Yes. Uh, and it appeared in Coast to Coast, which is a show that has been around since Art Bell originally produced it back in the 40s and 50s um you want to elaborate a little bit on that subject sure well it it goes back really to the gentleman i spoke to about earlier that started 
you know, his interest in magic with getting a couple of SS Adams uh, products uh, way back when, probably in the early 1940s. Um, he was very good friends with uh, Edgar Mitchell and um, visited Mitchell on a number of occasions. And when uh, Edgar died in 2016, um, he had been working on a book about about Mitchell and his life. And um, of course, knowing you know Bill Rauscher and publishing many of his books that he's he did, even though this was not magic. Um, he's written other books that were interesting that are not magic, like a true story called The Psychic Mafia um, and a book called The Death Camp Magicians and, you know, other books, A Case Against Suicide, many, many um, very interesting and informative books. So we did this book on uh, Mitchell and Coast to Coast had Edgar on a number of times because of his views on UFOs and uh, even remote healing and so forth. And because he, you know, was, um, you know, he was a, uh, you know, an astronaut and someone who was well-respected respect, and Dr. Mitchell and so forth, um, he gave credibility to those that, you know, would believe that there was, was other life form out there in UFOs. And because Mitchell um, lived near Roswell, New Mexico, when he came back after the Apollo 14 mission, you know, and he spent like nine, over nine hours on the moon and collecting uh, moon rocks and just uh, artifacts and so forth of the moon for NASA. Um, he was a unique person. And um, his whole career after that was, writing and lecturing and so forth but because back at that time if you were a moonwalker you were you know a hero uh you risk your life because going to the moon was was risky you just didn't know uh traveling that far what was going to happen and when you when you boarded you just didn't know if you were going to come back so people confided in him and when he went you know to uh back to the roswell area there were people that were still living at the time that had experienced things, you know, in Roswell. And they thought that they could confide, confide in him um, because of his experience and everything as a moonwalker and being with NASA. And I think it convinced him. Um, and he had knowledge that, you know, something did occur and that there are, you know, there are um, unidentified flying objects and it's not that of the government. So the book is very interesting. It just doesn't cover that aspect of his life and what he thinks about UFOs, but he wasn't shy about it. I mean, he was on a number of television programs, you know, Larry King Live and so forth, and he would he would talk about it. Right. So the book the book is about that and, um, you know, many other things of in his life and um yeah it's uh and, yeah it, and it's something they can get at 1878 press one yeah yeah 1878 press, press and the author yep 1878press.com and reverend rousher who uh, wrote the book um 
was on coast to coast uh, several months ago, and um, you know it sold sold a lot of uh, sold a lot of books. And the whole point of doing these books and so forth is, um, you know, everyone says you do a book to make money, but a lot of times you do a book uh, because it's informative. You want to get the information out there. You want to show your life's work uh, and your interest. Of course, it's nice to make a profit on it, but that's not always the case when you put in all the research and yeah. the the development and the you know and everything like that and well, uh, well the interviews. But uh, and that's why I know Eddie, like yourself, you're working on projects and so forth because you have a true desire and passion for it. You, you don't do it just saying, "Hey, I'm going to become wealthy." You do it because. It's you a have passion. knowledge on the subject. Yeah, it's your passion. Yeah. See, the the only time I ever had an experience of going to the moon, in my thing, is a couple of weeks ago when I was moving my storage and I picked up a display case, and the two pieces of glass rammed to my finger. I, I kind of visited the moon in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. let me tell you, uh, a lot. Of- Wait. Well, hey, gentlemen, we gotta get ready to wrap things up here. Uh Dave, <laughs> give us your your website, um, how people could get a hold of you, and any information on your uh, on your auctions. Okay, so there's two websites. Um, one is uh, was mentioned earlier is called 1878press.com, and that's the for the books and the publications, and it has contact information for me if you want to shoot me an email. And the other one is um, Haverset and Ewing Galleries, or it's www.hegalleries.com and um, it will, you'll see all the things that are available that are coming up uh, for our magic auctions. We're primarily magic, sometimes spook show things, you know, um, from the 50s and 60s and so forth, but mainly magic. My last words are that if, um, as you know, David had mentioned uh, his different sites, if there's anything you guys want to see, we do have in House of the Unusual, there's a link to Agme House Novelties, which is the company me and Dave have put together, uh, where you can buy those products that I, I mentioned before. Um, other than that, I think, you know, and I will say to you guys again, please listen to our podcast each week. And more important than anything, log on to our site, subscribe to our mailing list so that you can keep, be kept up to date. And the more important thing is, Become a member of the forum and the blog. Post your information. Let's be able to talk, communicate with each other. Because this is fun and this is what we want to do. Having said that, Joe, any final words? No, that's it, man. You guys hit everything on nail on the head. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. So good night, everyone. Good night.